Welcome to Millennial Minds with activist, model, preacher, and public figure, Yasmeen Yazzie Speaks Arrington. Definitely have the voice of the young people in mind. Join her as she sits down with artists, content creators, business owners, and community activists to get their stories. We'll hear the millennial perspective straight from the crafters of the culture sculpting our today and tomorrow. And now here's your host, Yazzie Speaks. You are listening to DC Radio 96.3 HD4 and online at dcradio.gov. This is your girl Yazzie Speaks on another episode of Millennial Minds. Today we have a very special guest. This evening we have Mr. Paul Minus and Mrs. Heather Rice Minus, who are both husband and wife. And they will be, we, we have a really interesting conversation this evening, which I'm I'm so excited about and and for their willingness um, to, to be open and candid um, and to share uh, really some intimate discussions and moments that they have had uh, throughout their relationship and, and marriage. How you doing, Paul and Heather? We are doing good. 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 I'm so excited to have you on Millennial Minds. Just just tell us a little bit about uh, uh, yourselves, you know, uh, where you are born, where you're from, and what you do. Ladies first. All right. <laughs> um, uh, my name is Heather Rice Minus. I was um, born, actually, abroad in uh, on a tiny, tiny island called Cyprus, but was raised most of my life in Fairfax, Virginia, so outside the D.C. area, just outside. Um, and um, currently, I, I work as uh, the Senior Vice President of Advocacy and Church Mobilization uh, mm-hmm. for Prison Fellowship, which is the nation's largest Christian um, nonprofit serving people behind bars, returning citizens, and their families. Um, and I am wife to Paul and mother of Naomi and a little um, baby foster girl right now. Yeah. And they're so beautiful. Your children are so beautiful. Oh, thank thank you. you. Yes. And I'm Paul. I was born in uh, Detroit, Michigan, from Highland Park, Michigan, uh, up until I was 18. Then I moved out here and just kind of bounced around in DMV until I met Heather. We got married. And we've been in D.C. for a while. I am a stay-at-home dad right now. All right, stay-at-home dad. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. You, you're, you're doing the daddy daycare thing. I know that's right. <laughs> but he has a background in social work, Yasmin. So, that's um, amazing. Absolutely. Up until we became foster parents, Paul was working with at-risk homeless youth in the city. Oh, wow. That's amazing. That's definitely amazing. That's something that we can continue to talk about offline, Paul. <laughs> Absolutely. Because you could probably you could probably help us with scholarships. Okay. Yeah. Um, but so how did you two meet? <laughs> I uh I saw her working out at the gym. And so I went up and approached her and started talking to her. And uh and, and, and this was in was in was this in Detroit? No, so this I had already moved out here. This was in Virginia at Boston Goes Gym. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I saw her. I just went up and started talking to her. And she was a little standoffish. And then she ended up seeing my good friend who worked at the gym. And then I saw her again. And then we exchanged numbers and we started started going out soon after that. 
after he stopped texting me and finally called me. Well, I know it can be very nerve wracking, you know, when you like someone or you have an interest and, you know, sometimes it's kind of hard to cold call people. So I, so I, I get you, Paul. <laughs> no, Yasmin, what you don't understand is this man just walked straight up to me and I was all sweaty, not understanding why this man was talking to me at the gym, trying to just get my workout done, you know. Uh, but he, he would literally, his friend would let him know when I was working out and he would come come work out for that reason. Oh, I love that. That's a great story. I love that. <laughs> that is so funny. You were working out and Paul was trying to work out. He was working it out. so what was it like uh when you both knew that you were serious like when you when you knew that you know hey I I I really I really like this this woman I I really like this guy and you were maybe talking amongst yourselves about taking your relationship to the next level you know what was what was that conversation like and then also knowing that, you know, at some point when you realize, okay, I, I'm really serious about this and you, you know, ma- basically started talking about uh, marriage. Uh, what was it like when you knew, like when you were going to go take that conversation to your, to your parents? I think uh, knowing it was serious and really knowing her was a, uh, I asked her to be my girlfriend. So for me, that's that's really serious, right? I'm not a guy who had a bunch of girlfriends. And if I have a girlfriend, I'm, I'm faithful. I'm doing all the stuff. And so I, I told her this. So I asked her to be my girlfriend. So that's very serious for me. I let my mom know. I let my family know. And then the next part was seeing um, her with my family. And I knew, oh, wow, I think I could marry her. So it's kind of a phase thing like that. And I'll speak to the, the last part as far on my side, and I'll let Heather go. With my family, it wasn't, I didn't have any thoughts like, oh man, it'll be weird because she's white, or I didn't have anything on that end. So I didn't think mm-hmm. about that part because one, my mom is white, my dad is black. Mm-hmm. So that, was never, that was never in my head, like, ah, oh, with the race or with this or with that, or nothing like that was in my head mm-hmm. on that mm-hmm. end. So that was just, uh, that was easy. Yeah. That's and- good. I think for me, um, it was, I I did not have, um, I didn't have much like trepidation or anything just given that we were in a biracial relationship, but it was, um, I think the reaction that was a little bit more difficult was just my parents are, are very committed Christians. Like they want to know where he's at with that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and that was sort of a process um, right. for our relationship. In fact, we talk about how I broke up with Paul, the, the quote unquote breakup. <laughs> and, we, and we went together. <laughs> we, and, and, and he hadn't even asked me to be his girlfriend. And I broke up with him um, because, you know, I just felt like we were going down, you know, different paths, had different faith values. And so, you know, just said, I, I think, you know, we should just maybe not see each other because I, I really like you. And I think I, I just need to stop seeing you. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and, and he was just, uh, he just gave me the no. <laughs> um, and said that, you know, he really enjoyed being around me and, and he, he was, his mom is a, is a very devoted Christian. And so he, he just felt like um, he really wanted to, to stay connected and, and wanted to recommit his life to God, um, but wanted to do that, you know, for himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
So that was a growing process. So that gave my parents, you know, some reservations um, in terms of giving their baby girl. (laughs) And then the other piece, which, you know, I think is linked to race, but, you know, um, separate is, is just socioeconomic background. So Mm -hmm. at the time when I met Paul, I was in my second year of law school. Um, He had done some college classes, but hadn't finished. And so I think my parents just pictured me with someone in a different place. And, um, so, so there were some conversations about that. And I, I remember having some, um, like hurt over that and just, um, mm. and, and those, those kinds of conversations, but it was, it was not, you know, directly about race. I, okay. So that, so it never, that, that part never about race never actually came up. I don't, I don't think I don't directly. No. no. Okay. That's, that's great. That's awesome. So it's okay. I I got you. So it was more the reservations, um, Heather, from your, your parents was more, you know, about like, okay, where, where is he, you know, spiritually? Cause I, I know how Christian like parents can be, you know, they, they, you know, they're not going to have it. They're not going to have it. So, um, it it seemed like it was between that. And also, like you said, you know, kind of socioeconomic status, because I think one thing, especially for fathers, but, but also mothers, they want to ensure that their, that their daughters, like you said, their baby girls is going to be taken care of. But I, but I know, I know Paul's got that on lock and he's taking very good care of you. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, I can't imagine doing life without him and yeah um but you should say quick this uh how my dad just grilled you when you when you (laughs) he asked for my dad's hand in marriage you know or like asked for his not not he asked for his blessing (laughs) (laughs) i did but i did so i asked her dad for his blessing when i proposed to her and i i did say that because I was just stumbling over my words. He's so nervous. And uh, he never said yes. He just kept talking. He was asking me questions. And we were just talking. He's asking me all these questions. Like, what are you going to do? What is this? What is that? And then her mom yells down from, like, upstairs. Like, just tell him yes. (laughs) (laughs) The the infamous eavesdropping mom, right? The whole thing. Paul's, like, super nervous. Right. I'm glad she did because he had not said yes in any fashion. So I was like, yeah, I I really do need, like, a yes or no. I'm not getting an answer. I'm I'm fine with continuing to talk, but. So you uh, you eventually got the yes, right? I did. I did. You eventually got the yes. Nice. Did you get it in that conversation or at another time? No, no, it was then. That's awesome. So, were any of your parents surprised, or 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 was it just totally like, or were they more just so happy that you you know were in a serious relationship and and about to take it to the next level? I think you know back to the the point on socioeconomic economic status. I think my parents were surprised just in terms of like, they're like, Oh, I just always thought you'd marry a, you know, another lawyer or a doctor. Um, and, and so in reality, um, I am a crazy person who <laughs> works way too much. And, um, if I had had done that, I think that would have been bad for my soul. And Paul is just, you know, we went through premarital counseling. And I can remember our, one of our biggest differences is stress level. Paul's at like a 10% <laughs> line and I'm at like 90. <laughs> um, 
So, so we, we are just a really good um, balance to each other, I would say. And I think over the years, they've really come to see that and appreciate how God brought us together. Um, but I think they yeah. were surprised in that context. I remember once we got serious or maybe talking a little bit more about marriage, I can remember this one comment from my mom, like, oh, so, so this is serious. <laughs> <laughs> like, yes, mom, this is, this is serious. Yeah. This is serious. And oh, wow. Happy. You know, they, uh, yeah, they were more happy because it was, I guess they were kind of in it throughout the whole process. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say more, but I just let my mom know, hey, I, I got a girlfriend or I met this girl and then I got a girlfriend. And so it was like, a, so, oh, okay, I can't wait to meet her, like that type of thing. That's beautiful. That's really beautiful when, when your parents are supportive throughout yeah. the process. Um, so Paul, do you, do you typically, how do you refer to yourself in terms of your identity when, you know, to, to yourself and when you're, when you, when you, you know, are talking with other people or you check off a box? So now I just say black. I used to say I'm mixed cause I was, you know, white mom, black dad, I used to say mixed mm-hmm. and it was just accuracy, accuracy sake. I said it. And then I don't know when it was, but it was just kind of thinking of in the world I'm viewed as black. So when people mm-hmm. see me, they think black, unless I, you know, I haven't cut my hair and I got a tan, then maybe they think <laughs> Latino, but typically <laughs> it's black. So I just identify as that because it's easier. And then if it comes up organically, I'll, I'll tell people, yeah, my mom's white, my dad's black. I'm like, oh, really? So I always get that, those surprise. I see. I see. I see. I do. I do understand. Um, Now, over the years, have you all noticed uh, any like stark cultural differences in the way you do things or the way you think about traditions or like, you know, is there anything like that? Oh, yeah. Absolutely (laughs) not. We're exactly the same. (laughs) Well, give me give me an example or two of like something you've noticed and you'd be like, why do you do that? Or like, oh my goodness, you do like that is so like that's so typical. Like <laughs> Well, so like one thing is just I'm thinking about holidays, right? Okay. So, you know, my experience is like they kind of want a small gathering, you, you invite particular people over to your home. It's it's all planned, right? At Paul's house, he is one of nine children. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. 30 plus grandkids. Yeah. And it's just like when you have a get together, it's like whoever rolls through, you bring friends. You yep. bring, it's like, you don't, it's not friends, family kind of blurs lines, right? And everybody and the, comes. Right. And, the, and the food. Oh, the food. Tons and tons of food. Tons yeah, food. food. And then like, Thanksgiving, I had never experienced fried chicken and mac and cheese. Yes. For Thanksgiving. Now I love it. (laughs) (laughs) You gotta have mac and cheese as a staple. Right, exactly. But it's like all the food my family would make, right? Like turkey, all the right, you know, all all the all the traditional Thanksgiving stuff, plus like a whole nother level. (laughs) (laughs) It's so funny. It is wonderful. And I, I'll speak to one other thing. It's just, and it, there's more little differences. But one is like holidays and birthdays, specifically birthdays and gift giving. Mm-hmm. Because I'm one of nine and we didn't have a lot of money. And it was mm-hmm. like, we were giving each other gifts. So my sister who's not working or whatever is giving me a gift and I'm five, she's six. I'm getting like socks and deodorant and stuff <laughs> like that. Mm-hmm. You're grateful. And there is no return at all. <laughs> there's no return on your stuff. You get what you get. 
And so, and you never get asked, like, here's a list of things I want. You just get whatever you get. And so her family, it's like, here's a list of 15 things and you can just pick something out and give it to me. And they give them it with the receipt. And I'm like, what? Like, they don't get a number to take stuff back? Like, really? Right. What? So that was crazy to me. I was like, huh, that's so interesting. Right. We just didn't do that. Wow, those are really great examples. Thanks for that. And like, I imagine that you both kind of, you, 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 you know, in your quiet time or something, or it's just the two of you, you may like bring it up and maybe you two like end up laughing about it or something. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, it's taken away. <laughs> exactly. And then like another more substantive one I can think of too, just now off the top of my head was um, adoption. Like I had my family, my mom was an adoption social worker. I have adopted cousins who mm. are, Korean. And so when we were talking about getting married and I had always been passionate about foster parent adoption, like that just hadn't been something his family had experienced in a formal way, but certainly in the black community, I think uh, kinship care, informal kind of adoption, super common. Right. But like Mm -hmm. I was imagining was quite different than from him. So we, we had a conversation about that. I remember, and I, I feel like that's one of our um, differences that came from our upbringings. Yeah. That's great. That's, this is good. Not to damper the mood, uh, but, but you all are, uh, you both have very great spirits. And so I know that we can, you know, kind of have this, have this conversation, but like when racially driven, uh, murders or, you know, tragedies happen in the United States, like that of, of George Floyd, um, do you both talk about them? And then it, when you, if you do or when you do, like, what are those conversations like? We we do, not everyone. And that's more me, because I know Heather would. So for me, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable in almost any setting. Um, like, I, I'm comfortable. I don't feel I'm not looking and counting the white people in the room or the black people in the room necessarily. I, I just won't notice. And I'm glad mm-hmm. I don't. So specifically, like after the George Floyd murder, we were in North Carolina and I was just seeing, noticing every white person around me. And it was just really kind of heavy on me. And I'm like, man, I don't normally feel like this when I'm looking over this corner, looking over this corner. And it just made me almost paranoid. And so I think lately it it just feels really heavy on me. And I'm like, sheesh, because I know that could easily be me, right? Yeah. And so it's uh it makes me think about it again where I was out of my mind. And so it makes me go, I that could be me, that could be uh my brother, that could be tons of people that I know that are so close to me so it's just it's just heavy so we'll, we will talk about it so i can kind of vent and get get through it and push through it or we can process it we'll kind of do that mm-hmm. yeah and i i kind of i mean i have to think about these things in the context of my work on criminal justice reform mm-hmm. of course. um so i definitely you know as paul said like i'm, I'm always like up for a discussion yeah. on these kinds of things but i kind of base it off him because um i know it can just get exhausting and right. so um i, I don't want to force him to have that conversation or, or, or whatnot. So I base it off of if, if he wants to talk about it. I understand. I got you. And then if you could just, I mean, I, you know, I, I know I'm kind of pushing a little bit oh. here, pushing maybe a boundary, but, but um, 
like what might what might that conversation be or or or, or let me ask it this way do you also do you also ever have these types of conversations in your larger context with with other family members yeah i mean my little sister and her husband were just over and we were talking about this with them we were talking about just tons of race stuff and how uh people are viewed and we just got into a whole lot of stuff because my sister's you know she's wrestling with it too like you know like tons of people are and she I mean she called me tonight and she was just talking to me we were talking about it again because again there's some other case on the news now it's like goodness yeah it can get downright just frustrating and depressing Right. Um, so how 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 do these how do the conversations come up? Do you bring it up intentionally or is it just kind of organic? You know, when you're sitting with family and you talk about the news and it just kind of comes up. How how does that usually happen? I feel like your family is is very intentional about talking about it. Like his sister is actually trying to promote a you know family series on yeah. talking about race talking with the whole race. family right now. Um, and asked me the other day, like, hey, Heather, maybe we could have you as a guest speaker to talk about the prison system. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. So his, his sisters, especially a couple of them, are really passionate about, you know, or really being intentional about talking through it with each other. Um, and, and everyone processes it, different, processes it differently because I think Paul tends to, like, internally process more than some of his sisters. Yeah. Right. I got you. I'm not necessarily bringing it up. It's more coming up in conversation. Now, I'll still speak on it, but I'm not necessarily bringing it up. I understand. I understand. Um, and and really quickly, I, I want to get get so much deeper into this conversation. Um, so we'll we'll have to have a part two, perhaps. Um, but I, I get. I mean, I do have two more questions. So you know, what what piece of wisdom would you offer the world in terms of how to accept and love people who are from uh, different cultural backgrounds? My my biggest advice is start having conversations. Start talking to people. Start. Not asking questions in a sense of racial or, or that off the off the bat, but just talk to people, get to know people, because you'll realize so many people have so many things in common with you, and we have so many similarities in in how we were raised, things our moms did, our dads did, or not having a mom, not oh, we have so many similarities, mm-hmm. and that is, I think, the first thing we go, oh wow, this this guy's just like me, this lady's just like me in these ways. And that'll start the thing where you go, oh, well, maybe if we're so similar and then you can get deeper and you can get deeper and you can actually love the person mm-hmm. when you get to understand we, we're so similar. We have so much of the same things going on. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I second that. I think, you know, getting in proximity with people who are different than you is so important. Um, for us, that's probably easier than said than done because, or I mean, it, it's easier for us because we live in a city and have circles where that's, that's naturally going to happen. I know for right. other people it's, it's harder. And so I think, um, another piece of that is just appreciating different cultures. I, I know with all that's happening in our country, it actually kind of convicted me of just, you know, what am I reading? What spiritual leaders am I looking to? Mm-hmm. Um, I started, you know, in my daily daily prayers, looking to, you know, historically black 
Christian leaders um, for for prayers that I do. Um, and so that's something that hadn't occurred to me before all that's been happening in our country, but you know, till, till now. And so I think there are other ways we can we can take in information and appreciate different perspectives. Um, but of course, ideally, you're in a relationship with people that are different than you, um, an authentic relationship. Because I think right. right now, there's a lot of um, pressure to kind of force it and try too hard. Mm-hmm. So I think that starting point of just diversifying what you're listening to and, and what you're appreciating, um, especially, you know, for those who are Christians, like what, what you're processing in terms of your devotions and prayer life and all of that. That's beautiful. That's deep. Thank you both. This is really good. Um, and, and then finally, what are your thoughts on how we can progress as a country and eradicate racism? And I, I don't know. I, other than God, I don't, I don't know how we really eradicate it, right? Like, how do you really have genuine love other than God? Mm-hmm. So I think that's, that's the foundation of it. And then, again, I think it's relationship. And I think that comes, that's an easy thing if you're loving people, is building a relationship and really building that. Because not, it's not just going to be laws. It's not just going to be who's elected. It's not just, just those things in isolation isn't really going to change anything. It can change a little bit. It can help. But I think it's really, um, I love that, um, Paul, because I think, I, I do believe, you know, as a Christian, that the church has a unique ability um, and capacity to speak to this if they step up to the plate. Um, mm. And But I also agree with, like, it's relationship. Um, I probably feel more strongly and passionately about the laws <laughs> as mm-hmm. Works in advocacy and criminal justice reform um, because I do think there's a tendency of a lot of people, particularly the white community and um, in, the, in the Christian community, the evangelical community, to look at relationship and just kind of personal one on one is what what needs to be solved and saying, well, we don't really have you know a race problem. Um, and I think you know with systemic racism, um, you, that's really solved through policy and and changes in law. Um, and I think we've also got to address things like the wealth gap that still exists, um, you know, very disproportionate criminal justice, disparate impact. Um, mm-hmm. All of these things are also important to address. So, you know, I think it's, it's really twofold in terms of personal and systemic. Um, but for us um, and, and for our family, it is, you know, looking to that Christian foundation um, for guidance. I think that was the benediction right there, Heather. <laughs> is there anything else? Is there any other final, final, no pressure, but is there any other final thoughts or anything on, on your heart before before we cue out? You know, I will just say, just because it didn't really come up in conversation organically, that, um, you know, just having started the foster care process here in Washington, D.C., um, in March, right as COVID-19 hit, I think like that is just like another layer of disproportionate impact of communities of color that I hadn't been as keenly aware of. Um, and just, you know, the vast majority of children in the system being from black families, um, just kind of seeing the connections to, um, all sorts of issues where, where, you know, it's really a matter of, of resources and, and poverty playing a role. Um, and, and these intersections uh, has been 
you know, eye opening, I think, and, and has given me a new appreciation, um, for, for as many children come into our care as foster parents, having to navigate new conversations, um, with, with me being a, a white foster parent, uh, and having, you know, I expect to have predominantly black children in our home, uh, as we have placements. And, um, so anyway, that's just, that's just another layer of it. And so it's been eye opening to me in this season because I've been so focused on criminal justice reform, but just to see all the different systems, when you think of systemic racism, um, that, uh, all need reform. Yeah. Wow. Paul, do you have anything, any other final thoughts? No, no, this was good. I mean, this was good. It was a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank you both so much, um, for this opening and candid conversation. Um, there's, there's, there's such, such richness and such meat in this conversation. So thank you. Thank you for having us. Right. Thank you. Most definitely. You have been listening to Millennial Minds with Yazzie Speaks on DC Radio 96.3 HD4 and online at dcradio.gov. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, peace. You've been listening to Millennial Minds with activist, model, preacher, and public figure, Yasmeen Yazzie Speaks Harrington. For more information, visit yazzieharrington.com or dcradio.gov.